This morning's Bible reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, 1 to 6, page 948 in the Pew Bibles. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a worthy, a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. morning once again. Almost afternoon, but don't worry, I've picked a very short text. (laughs) Not that one, something a little shorter even. I'm helping someone move, Uh, some friends of mine move on Saturday coming, and I've learnt over the years not to underestimate how long that takes. So you just block out the whole day, you don't have dinner plans, you don't, because otherwise you just end up feeling stressed the whole time that this is taking way too long and why, is it, why aren't things running more efficiently. Been there, done that, spent whole weekends moving things that were supposed to take far less. So I blocked out all of Saturday, um, and I, but I, I'm actually fairly confident because these people aren't chronic um, underestimators, they're, they're actually very organised people. It's no one here, it's someone, someone else entirely. Um, but there are times where I've myself uh, underestimated things. I, can, I was just reflecting a minute ago on um, being out in the surf a, a couple of times. Not recently, I don't do this anymore, but when you're actually you know, sort of bargaining with God at that point, just let me get back in that last time and I won't ever come out again. That kind of, I've underestimated my, the, the, the situation. One time, Dad will remember, it was um, years ago, we were canoeing in Canada, on the border of Canada, and we were about to leave. And you have to canoe back to the pickup point, which is in the middle of nowhere, and they come and race, race for a couple of hours in their boats and pick you up in your canoes. And to get there, you have to portage over a couple of um, spots in the uh, river system and uh, where it's impassable with your canoes. So you have to get out, get all your gear on your back, put the canoes on you, and they're heavy, they're large, and you've got to you know, hike them over this bracken trail. And, and my brother and I thought, well... We've done that a couple of times now, and I can see the end point. It's just around the corner over there. I know we're close. This last portage looks terrible. I'm pretty sure if we put the boat, if you put the canoe in here, it's only three or four metres to the end of that fallen tree. If we can get around, across the river, if we can get around it in the current, we'll be right. We can shoot those rapids, no problem. Three or four metres of tree, just, we've just got to paddle really hard for the first couple of seconds. Well, we got the oars in once, and I think maybe twice, before we very quickly got shot across and, un- and hit the tree sideways. And you've got a massive canoe going in a river full of, uh, I don't even know how to estimate this, tens of thousands of litres of water going through every second probably. Uh, very quickly that canoe goes sideways, fills entirely with water in a split, split second, and then you get swept under the tree. Everything in the boat is like the canoe's actually in the bottom of the river, and you're now waiting to pop up and get a breath at some point. And then everyone else is like, yes, we, um, we told you that would happen. <laughs> that might not have made me underestimating 
the river and maybe overestimating our paddling capacity. Um, but either way, we underestimated this, this circumstance. Everyone survived. Um, and then uh, we just lost you know, lots and lots of gear. And eventually we picked up. You thought we would have learned our lesson, but we, they were late by a couple of hours. And Luke and I decided to try and set out for home in our canoes with only about two hours of light left, not realising it would have taken us about ten hours um, to paddle back the way we came. Anyway, they, they saved us. And I, but that whole trip, we were sort of not real comfortable underestimating our environment and not realising the impact it was, would have. Very thankful that those guys eventually turned up and didn't leave us overnight in the middle of nowhere. Chronic underestimation. Dangerous underestimation. Uh, today we're going to be looking at a psalm which helps us um, avoid underestimating something incredibly important. And it's something that we underestimate, I think, quite regularly. At least, um, at least when we consider this psalm and how important this is, uh, I think that we don't quite give it uh, the weight that it's due. Psalm 133, if you'd like to turn there, it's in page 503, I believe, in the Blue, Blue Bibles. One of the shortest psalms. And it's going to remind us or, or help us to think of, consider that we don't underestimate the power of our presence. The power of our presence amongst each other, our unity. Psalm 133, a song of ascents of David. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down onto the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. Not sure if you've spent much time considering this uh, odd little psalm. But it unpacks for us the very first line, which is how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. That's, that's its main point. It's this good. I'm going to show you how good it is. And, when it, and in doing that, it's going to employ two images from, uh, from the ancient Near East life, uh, from the biblical world, in order to demonstrate for us how good it is uh, when we live together in unity. The first one uh, is oil. It's like precious oil, or other Bible versions, other versions might have good oil. Uh, it's probably perfumed oil. It's the oil that they used when they uh, consecrated kings, and here a priest. Uh, oil was used to celebrate, to dress up. And we still do that. It's like perfume, but it all, you, you put it in your hair and you make, it makes it glossy. Uh, you put it on your, it drips onto your face and it gives you a sheen. And so this perfumed oil was a way of celebrating. The point here, though, and it goes on, you know, at, at some length to describe it, it's poured on the head and then it flows down the beard. And then not just anyone's beard, but Aaron's beard. And then it flows onto his collar. And your unity's like that. Right. You, you might just read through this very quickly and not really stop and consider the profound image that this is for, for an Israelite. 
on the one hand, oil is a, is a picture of blessing and, and provision by God. But on the other hand, it's used on these occasions to consecrate a king, to consecrate a priest. And here it's not just anyone's beard, it's Aaron's beard. And it's excessive. It's not really his beard. This oil has been poured on his head to consecrate him, and his beard's much bigger than mine, uh, and yet it's flowing through his beard and onto his robes. I toyed with the idea of having enough to actually demonstrate that. Uh, but this is, this is expensive stuff. So, so was theirs. And I'd, you know, I'd have to go through several pairs of shirts and probably um, drop sheets in order to make this work. But this is, I mean, I've got a dropper, right? Beard oil, a dropper. You don't grab a cup of this stuff and pour it on your head. You'd, you'd go broke very quick. And so really, I'm talking about like, you know, a couple of drops on my fingertips rubbing it in. I'm really going to smell good by the end of today. This is my third round. You can come check it out later. But yeah, you rub it in a bit, get a good massage. It's good for the skin, good for the beard, makes it, makes it glossy, stops the tangles. Smells great, full of like natural oils, essential oils, sort of woodsy and lovely. It's a dropper. It's, it's pretty pathetic when you think about the amount of oil I'm using to... This, this picture for the Israelites is of this great... Um, this good oil, but it's in such vast quantities that they're just dousing Aaron in it. They're dousing him in it, and it's flowing all down his head and onto his clothes. The perfume would have wafted into the, into the crowd, and they would have seen, even from a distance, that he was consecrated. He was set apart for the task. You ever thought your unity, your life together is like that. It's a blessing from God, but it's far more than a blessing from God. Uh, This is Aaron's beard. That really is starting to waft up up here. Keep me awake. It's Aaron's beard. And when when the the Israelites considered Aaron's beard full of oil and, and this oil dripping down onto his clothes, they're reminded that God is committed to them. They're reminded that God has put Aaron and his priesthood forever as a way of God dwelling amongst his people. They're reminded that God has committed to living with them, even though that they are sinful and rebellious, that God has said, I am going to make you my people. I am going to dwell amongst you and I am committed to blessing you. When the people of Israel see Aaron being commissioned and this great, bountiful blessing of oil being poured over his head, they're supposed to remi- it reminds them of how generous God has been, that he is committed to dwelling with them. He wants to embrace them. He's accepted them. He's offered a way of cleansing them. And he's going to live with them. That's what they see when they see the oil and they hear about this good oil. And the psalmist is saying, how good is it when God's people live together in unity? Don't underestimate the power of your presence. It's this good. It actually, our unity enacts God's embrace. It doesn't just picture it. It's not just when we're together, that pictures what God does. He he brings people together. It, It brings people together. God embraces people through you. The unity of God's people is so pleasant. It's like this oil 
this oil that gives you a, a vision of God's desire to be with us. That he's accepted us, taken us in, called us his people. And our unity does the same thing. We're doing that as God's arms, as God's hands, drawing each other into the presence of God and saying, you are welcome here. You're accepted here. Life with God. Cleansing, forgiveness. God's very presence among us. Our unity enacts God's embrace. And there's a second image. Uh, the second image, the last verse. It's as if the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there Yahweh bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So we've got oil on the one hand, now Jew. And, and Hermon's a mountain in the north of Israel, and Jerusalem, um, Zion, is in the south of Jerusalem. The south of Israel, sorry. So they're not, they're not next to each other. They're nowhere near each other. But, but this picture of this bountiful Jew falling on Zion is also what you do when you meet together and care for one another and embrace each other. It's like Jew falling from heaven to bless those around you. Now, the Jew on Hermon must have been, uh, we, we think, is probably heavier Jew. It's, it's a snow-capped mountain. Uh, but the idea is that there is bountiful Bountiful falls on the, the slopes of Zion. It's not just Jew falling anywhere. It, your unity, our life together, is like Jew falling on God's kingdom. Zion, the only mountain that will stand, the, only, the place where God dwells on earth amongst his people. It's, it's a symbolic, Zion's a symbolic uh, picture of God's kingdom that will um, conquer all and stand forever. No other mountain. No other kingdom will, will stand. Only God's kingdom and, and Zion will stand. So when it says that when we live together, we are like the Jew falling on Zion. We draw people into God's kingdom. It enables life and blessing to flow from God to those who live on the lower slopes, to those who live below him in his kingdom under his care. Of course, so, so Jew and oil, this isn't the first time they're used. They're used throughout the Old Testament to, to picture God's blessing. Sometimes he himself is the Jew to his people. Uh, sometimes the king is the Jew to his people. Sometimes uh, his, God's people are the Jew to the nations. They give life. Offer life to those around them. Here we are the Jew to one another. Do you underestimate the power of your presence here? Not just here, but in your life with those around you? Outside of these walls? Together, serving? It's one of those um, remarkable choices of God that he has chosen human agency to bless the world. We've just commissioned... Camillo, in, in last service, and this one now, and our other link missionaries as well, God always has always chosen people to be a blessing to his people and to his world. And just as we commission Camillo to go out, here we see God's people coming together in unity and worshipping are like Aaron being commissioned. Every day when we gather, it's like we're being commissioned to be God's embrace to be God's life-giving presence to those around us.
unity. And, and we, I mean, we experience, I've been a part of this church for a long time now, over 40 years. Um, and, and there's lots of great and wonderful things that, uh, that I've experienced um, here and, and been blessed by the community here. And I hope that you have too over the, your time here, however long or short that's been. Uh, we have a, a shared vision uh, for serving Jesus and for proclaiming him to the world around us. Uh, a vision both for overseas um, mission and also to impact our community, our, our schools, our friends, our families. We're here and there's a shared collective vision, a unified mission that we are all on. There's lots of ways in which we care for one another. And I hope many of you have been the recipients of that. But unity is difficult. It, remember, this is a how good and pleasing it is when this happens. But it's difficult. It's costly. Life's not always full of this kind of good blessing, is it? Perhaps there are uh, people within this congregation or beyond that you just sort of naturally avoid. We're all different. Uh, one of the um, a few, actually several commentators on this psalm would say that this, this psalm doesn't really apply very well to the church. We're all so factious and different. It's more like a monastery. More like everyone just sort of sharing life together and there's no conflict. I'm not sure if monasteries have no conflict. But I think that's a real shame if we think that a church, the body of Christ can't see this vision and realize this vision. But it's difficult. We are different. And maybe there are people that we just naturally uh, gravitate towards and gravitate away from. Perhaps there are people here uh, and in your wider circles that you have hurt. And there hasn't been reconciliation. Perhaps they've hurt you. That happens in life. The brokenness of this world, the close quarters of Christian family. And yet here we see a vision that Christian unity not just of mission, but of life together, is something that God is committed to. That's the end game. That's where we're all heading. And God wants us not just to wait for that to happen. Wait for that moment where all the tears are wiped away and God's, God's kingdom is fully realized and we're all with him in glory. God wants this for us now. It's his way of blessing us and those around us, that we experience unity with one another, experience God's embrace, and start realizing the, the new life that he's, been, that he's given us. But it's difficult. Perhaps there are people that we have not embraced. Perhaps there are those that have hurt us. Perhaps there are those people that we have hurt. But this is the, the wonderful opportunity that we have as Christians. To demonstrate and to work towards unity. To love one another. 
it's, it's not easy. If it were easy, you wouldn't be reflecting on how good it is when this happens. It's, th- it's this amazing. It's like God's gracious gospel at work. And that's costly. We know what it cost him. We read through Psalm 133 and we think, God's embrace, the ironic priesthood, the Jew from heaven, God wanting to embrace a broken and sinful world and dwell amongst it. What does it cost God? How does that work? And when we think about that, we know very quickly as Christians what it cost God and how it works. It cost him his son. It cost him becoming sin for us so that we might be reconciled to him. He had to descend into this messy and broken world just so we could be together with him. It's this picture of Zion, God's kingdom, that reminds us that God has committed to this place. So much so that he will sacrifice even his own son for it. He's committed to each one of us. He's committed to his people beyond this. And it's this vision of God's desire and commitment to bless and to embrace that must compel us. Compel us in our brokenness, in our hurt, in our isolation. To be God's embrace to those around around us. To be God's life-giving presence to those around us. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. Do you underestimate the power of your presence here and throughout the week? That God has chosen us to be his agents of embrace, to be his agents of life. He wants us to participate in this now, remembering what he has done for us. So that we might be a blessing to those around us and receive that same blessing.